morning, Marshall, and welcome to another episode of NBA's Unplugged. I'm your host, Veg McDermott, and let's get into today, Tuesday, October 13th. Uh, so just jumping right into the events here, we have a couple events this week. Not as many as in the past, so I can take my time a little bit this time. Uh, the first is going to be today with the Marshall Cannabis Industry Club, a chat with Anderson Bryant, uh, an iBear graduate of 2019, which will be happening today from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, next up, we have a corporate finance interview training for behaviorals with the MFA starting at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Then tomorrow on Wednesday, uh, the High Tech Association will be hosting a Meet the NBA Alums at Salesforce panel discussion. That will be from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, followed by a recruiting jumpstart workshop being hosted by the Graduate International Student Club from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Uh, next up on Thursday, we have a number of events here, one being another Marshall Cannabis Industry Club uh, event, more about the overview of the cannabis industry from 2 to 4. Uh, then High Tech Association will be hosting a behaviorals uh, session from 2.30 to 3.45. Uh, EVMA will be doing an introduction to venture capital session from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. The Operations Management Club will be doing an operations case interviewing workshop from 3 p.m. to 4 p.m. as well. And then finally, the Graduate Marketing Association will be doing a marketing 101 about nailing the case from 4 p.m. to 5.15. Then finally, on Friday, uh, the Graduate Women in Business will be having a uh, session with Capital Group who will be talking about internship opportunities, and everyone is welcome for that uh, session from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Uh, then the Marshall Data Analytics Club co-hosting with the Graduate Asian Business Society and the Graduate Women in Business uh, association uh, will be doing a happy hour with ZipRecruiter from 4045 to 545. Uh, after that, we have Healthcare Leadership Association with a NBA PM healthcare panel, which is open for all from 5 to 6 p.m. The Operations Management Club having another session about uh, EY operations and supply chain from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And then Finally, we have the South Asian Business Association hosting a Mafia game night from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. So I believe that is the uh, Mafia game that's very similar to other common games like Among Us and uh, I think Secret Hitler is also similar in that vein. Uh, so that's it for events this week. Uh, and now moving on to our guest speaker this week, I will be joined by another 20, another student from the class of 2022 uh, Leia Kill. So now we will jump over to that part of the show. And now moving on to the guest portion of our show, I'm joined by another member of the 2022 class. Uh, Leia, how are you doing today, Leia? Good. Happy to be on. I've learned, I've learned so much from um, the episodes during the summer. So very, very happy to be on. Oh, really? I mean, I mean, glad to hear from a longtime listener, apparently. Uh, I was kind of blanking on what Corey was in. So can you remind us what core you're in right now? Yes, core B. Shout out to team B12, team biz. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, so how are things going with you this weekend? Um, things are good. Uh, midterms are this coming week and it's definitely been a weekend at home just studying, but overall it's been better. Definitely term two is better than term one, as I'm sure many of my other classmates will probably say as well, but it's been <laughs> It's been a learning experience to say the least, but everything's been good. Yeah, I think once you get to term two, you have a little bit more time to absorb the information rather than having to sort of dedicate your entire night to group memorization kind of stuff. Very true, very true. <laughs> um, 
before we get much further into the show and learning more about you and your background, though, uh, we have a couple like an intro segment that we want to do with you. Um, you pick Song Blitz and we press the button. Do you have a preference for which one you want to start us off with today? Let's start with Song Blitz. Okay. So the way Song Blitz is going to work is you're going to name a genre of music, and I'm going to poorly attempt at finding a song that fits that genre. And from that song, I'm going to play you one five-second snippet, and hopefully it is something that you don't get the first try, because that's what I'm trying to do, uh, but hopefully you get it at some point in the second or third try. So uh, do you have a genre in mind of your head that you're aiming for? Yeah, let's do oldies. I'm trying to make my dad proud here, so oh, let's try for that. Um, what counts as oldies now? Like, what is that considered? <laughs> I'd say, I know that's so vague. I'd say maybe like Frank Sinatra's era. Oh, um, you're going like 50s, 60s oldies. Okay. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, all right. You ready? Ready. All right. So you got about five seconds starting now. Oh, wait. Now. Okay, I know it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. I love Christmas songs. Um, who's singing it? That is a million dollar question. That is the question. <laughs> mm. oh, man. I have, I don't know. I'll, I, I'll guess Tony Bennett, but I don't think that's <laughs> I, I deliberately avoided Tony Bennett after I gave that away. <laughs> <laughs> the voices sound similar though it's harder um, i mean they're all crooners so it's hard to say yeah i can play a little more of it if it'll help maybe trigger i don't maybe. know if it's gonna help with the name you already got the song name right but i don't know right. if it's gonna help with the artist itself but here we go Not like Christmas, soon the bells will start and the thick Um, my dad is probably yelling on the other <laughs> side of this. Come on, you got it. I I have no idea. Honestly, I'm I sure would, you'll tell me. I would never. I'm sure you'll tell me, and I'll be yeah, I'll be probably very disappointed with. Uh, Bing Crosby. I know that name. <laughs> that's all right. My, I got the I got half of it. <laughs> you did get the name of the song right, so I'll give like you get half half score for that. Um, okay, you get one more then before we move on. So okay. what's another genre you want to do? You can do the same genre, or you want to switch it up? Um, let's do eighties music. Mm. Okay, that I am way more comfortable with finding something for. Okay. Okay. Damn. Okay, now eighties is pretty. That's this is pretty wide open too. too. It is very broad. Um, <laughs> 80s. Um, wanna, oh, I'm just thinking about where I want to go with the. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Let's see. We'll take a shot. I'm pretty sure this is 80s, but there is the off choice that, uh, off chance that it's not. It, it's like someone that, like, they, they performed in the 70s and 80s, so it's sort of like a muddy water thing. Okay, I'll take that as a hint. All right, ready? Mm hmm. Um, I know the next lyrics are like for the longest time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think I'm just gonna guess that that's the song name, just because I feel like the '80s were very much that way. 
I have I have no idea who the artist is, but I do know that it's for the longest time. I think I'm, that's I'm making sure that's from the eighties. Okay, it is from the eighties. Okay, so I am I'm correct with picking the eighties song. Um, <laughs> I'll play another five seconds of that. Okay, I'll stick with. I think it's for the longest time, or. Maybe the for the longest time. I think that's the title. Um, and the artist. Oh, it's Billy Joel. Oh, okay, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it for the longest time? I can, I can never remember. It's just the longest time. But yeah, you're got it. Up to where you get credit for that. So <laughs> don't stress too much. All right, awesome. All right, good job on that. So you got pretty much one and a half out of two. Very, very respectable. <laughs> um, so now that uh, we got that song bit out of the way, I want to sort of learn a little bit more about you. Uh, sort of like, what was sort of your approach through your career that led you to the point where you decided to come pursue an MBA, either for education or for pivoting your industry? Uh, so you can start from wherever you want, whether it's your undergrad or you want to start from career. So um, we'll take it off from here. Yeah, I went to undergrad at UCSD uh, in La Jolla, so very, very nice um, area. My major was actually in human development, so this kind of plays into my story of why Marshall especially, but why just business school in general. Um, I ended up working in asset management first at Merrill Lynch in their wealth management practice for about two and a half years, and I was most recently at PIMCO in their institutional business development team. Um, so needless to say, I did not use anything that I learned in the classroom uh, when I was actually working. And I definitely had that sense, I think, of imposter syndrome, just being in the finance industry, having not taken really any finance or business classes whatsoever. Um, how I got in, I think, was really a testament to just uh, uh, the network that I had and the people who were supporting me, especially my parents, my you know classmates, whomever who really connected me with the right people. So um, yeah, in terms of why Marshall, especially why business school is really to kind of get, I think that like classroom experience. Um, so right now we're in the midst of taking finance and accounting. So while it's definitely difficult, uh, it's probably the main reason why I wanted to come for that classroom experience. So that's been really, really valuable. Um, so yeah, and especially, I guess to tie that with USC, I was really trying to hope to stay in LA. So uh, I've learned quickly that we don't name the other school that happens to me be my dad's <laughs> alma mater. Uh, so it was right, between that school. We ourselves away from that, uh, those four <laughs> letters, so. <laughs> exactly. So it was between that school and this one. Uh, and just through my interview experience, especially, but meeting current students and going to different info sessions back when we could do that in person, USC just really felt homey, oddly enough. I think even before coming to school, just as a prospective student was um, this feeling of warmth and hominess. And so I really, I think kind of resonated with that. So that was a big reason for why I chose Marshall in the end. I mean, that's awesome. I and mean, like, that's a very, it's a very common thread with uh, what really stands out from the USC experience so far. So uh, that Trojan network, as, as corny as it sounds, I feel like I said this six times on the show already, but it really is a real thing. And I cannot 
I cannot give it enough props as to how valuable it is. Um, in terms of human development, though, I'm really curious as to what kind of classes you were focusing on in terms of your undergrad and like what was your like what was your motive for doing human development? Like where did you think your career was going to go from there? And how did that sort of subvert your expectations to where now you need more of those finance skills? Yeah, so I started off actually as an econ major my two years, uh, my first two years rather. And so mm -hmm. while that wasn't business or finance classes, it was really just calculus and theory heavy, which was not what I had signed up for. Yeah. Um, I actually ended up going on a trip to Uganda for a few weeks in between my sophomore and junior year, which ended up being my mid-college crisis moment <laughs> where okay. I decided. Yep. We all that have that. I just, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I might have that here. Who knows? <laughs> But, but no, I was definitely drawn to the idea of teaching. My dad um, is in like the education space. And so that had a huge influence on me growing up. And the idea of being able to help people more directly and impact them in that way was something that I really wanted to do. And so came back to uh, school in the fall, immediately changed my major. The bulk of the classes were very like human behavior based. So a lot of psychology some biology just to understand how of course like hormones and your child development and how your body grows Genetics affects, and stuff. Yeah. exactly that yeah that, how, how that affects who you are as a person and so while that maybe not exactly what I was doing right after school I think it gave a lot of insight in terms of how people function and how I think um, your background really plays a huge part into who you become and how you are just in broader society. So it's really helpful, I think, to put that in that lens, but definitely not exactly the most transferable skill. <laughs> yeah, that was very, that's why I was really curious about like diving a little bit more into that because it didn't seem like a really clean sort of uh, transfer from going from there to Merrill Lynch or Merrill. Is that different or? <laughs> I think they dropped the Lynch Did they after drop the I lunch? left. Okay. I'm not, you know, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I'm not I don't know sure. either. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one of the two. <laughs> Um, and so uh, working at Merrill Lynch, how did that sort of, what was that transition like coming from, like, I guess it's more of like a flip-flop at this point where you went from econ, really kind of quant heavy to human mm -hmm. development for two years where you're doing a lot more social skills to switching to Merrill Lynch where it sounds like account management. It sounds like it's a mixture of both. Right, yeah. So I was a client associate under two different financial advisor teams, both which were um, definitely more tenured. And so in terms of what I was doing day to day was a lot about just like relationship management of the people and their books. So their clientele mainly consisted of people that you would imagine are our grandparents' age. So talking okay. to them on the phone was a big part of that. And um, yeah, in terms of just like managing their finances, their financial outlook, that was something that I, I think found pretty valuable, especially just on a personal level. So I knew even if I wasn't going to go into that space um, long-term, that those were definitely skills, the personal finance, you know, that those are huge things that I think oftentimes we don't learn in school, unfortunately. So it was really uh, good hands-on <laughs> experience to learn about like, what a 401k is, what's a Roth IRA? Like, why are these things important? And why is investing so important? And so that was super helpful. And I think um, during that time, especially, I think I learned how pivotal it is to be really like financially literate, especially as young people and young working people who have money coming in, but we don't know what to do with it. And so that was a huge, I think, learning experience for me altogether. So it was great working there. I appreciated the time that I had. I could definitely resonate with that because coming out of college, I can't say I was responsible with my uh, paychecks for <laughs> at least 
the first solid year. I don't know. Right. I won't say what I was doing with those paychecks, but they were not going into a savings account of any kind. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, how did you end up transitioning from Merrill to Pimca? Was that sort of like a uh, a move up for you, or were you just looking for different experiences in terms of uh, your work industry? Yeah, I think I definitely had slowly started uh, thinking about moving out and just seeing what, what else was out there. I wanted to explore other paths in finance um, outside of just the wealth management space. Uh, so I was actually reached out to through LinkedIn by a recruiter from PIMCO. And so that's oh, kind wow. of my introduction into it. Yeah, um, funny enough, the team that I was recruited for was still kind of on the fence, I think, after my final super day with them. But I actually, okay. in the process, started looking on their careers website and found a team that I felt like would be a really good fit for me. And so that's actually the team that I ended up getting onto, which was the business development team there. Okay. Oh, that's such a, I never heard of LinkedIn, like headhunters actually like being like a, a heartwarming story. So uh, <laughs> um, what was it like working in the business development? Is that sort of like industry that you, you like to be in? Yeah, so um, I think it, it was interesting because at Merrill, it was a very client facing um, experience and the business development team sat slightly internal of that. So the main people that we were working with were other PIMCO employees and we were helping the account management team who at that point was the actual client facing relationship management you know, person. Um, so it was really helpful, I think, because we were learning so much about different trends in the market, what clients were interested in. A big part of what we were doing was working on what they call RFPs, which are requests for proposals. And those are essentially like sales pitches that you're writing for these institutional clients. Um, and so because that was the bulk of our work, you could see kind of firsthand what people are asking, what they're interested in. So you know, how diversity plays into the space, how like impact investing plays into the space. Those were all, I think, really interesting topics that I probably wouldn't have been as exposed to on a separate team. So it was a, it was a valuable experience as well. That almost sounds like an internal consulting role in a way. <laughs> I especially, guess I, I guess, especially when you yeah. mentioned the RFPs, because I, I came from consulting and so RFPs are a, uh, almost like a PTSD trigger for me, so. <laughs> <laughs> So you know. Oh, so you I know. unfortunately know, yes. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that's, that's awesome. And uh, so what was sort of like the, uh, I know you kind of said you were suffering from what you called imposter syndrome. So was that sort of something that sort of followed you throughout your entire career to that point, like from Merrill to PIMCO? Or is that something that really started exacerbating itself once you got a little bit deeper into your role in business development? Yeah, so I think it, really kind of came to a head, not only during my interview process at PIMCO, but during my time there. PIMCO is known for being a very academic space. Um, they hire the best and brightest. And it's, it's really inspiring, I think, especially as a younger person to see what people are really capable of. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because again, the experience that I had had in undergrad and the classes that I had taken were nowhere near discussing yeah. what yield curves are, what that means, how interest rates matter. Those were not topics that I was used to talking about. So everything that I was seeing and everything that I was learning was really, I think, in the moment on the job training. And so, um, you know, compared to, I think, some of my colleagues who had had business or finance degrees in undergrad, I felt slightly behind, I think, because I hadn't had that foundation set early on. 
Um, so a lot of it was just self-study. Investopedia was a good friend of mine. Um, it's a great friend to everyone, so. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. So wherever I could get the help, and I definitely asked a lot of colleagues as well. Um, I was lucky because the team that I was working on was really collaborative, and so I was never afraid to ask questions and to find out more. Um, so yeah, I think it kind of came to a head once I once I went to Pimco. <laughs> okay. Uh, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. It's a uh... I mean, I can't imagine like being in a space where it's like kind of, you're kind of constantly putting being put into a trial by fire sort of scenario and mm -hmm. uh, feeling a little behind. But uh, in terms of choosing an MBA, is there a reason why I chose an MBA in particular as opposed to, I guess, like a master in finance or uh, something a little bit more direct in terms of the finance function as opposed to something more general like a business administration master's? Yeah, so I guess this might just speak to the kind of person that I am, but I really always like having like a very like whole holistic picture of things. And so I thought that, um, you know, a master's in finance would probably be really specific and very targeted. And I, mm -hmm. I kind of appreciate that even so far, you know, the first two terms that we've had, the classes kind of range um, in terms of like the strategy communication aspect of it all the way to what we're doing now in accounting and finance. And I'm sure the list will go on from there in terms of the broad spectrum that an MBA, I think curriculum can really offer. So yeah, I think for me, it wasn't really ever a question. I think also a big part of it was, you know, my mom was in finance and she always said like MBA, business school, those are things that you're going to okay. need. And so <laughs> I think just, you know, I drank a little bit of the Kool-Aid from my mom as well, yeah. but, uh, definitely think I made the right decision, especially now two terms in. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking for the more holistic approach, this is definitely like the right decision to go with. And in terms of if you want the more finance specific coursework, I mean, once you get past core, your core classes, you're more than free to like really dive into those a little deeper. But of mm -hmm. course, something else catches your eye. You're also welcome to sort of explore those options as well in your time here. Um, so in terms of, I guess, selecting your MBA program. I guess your both these roles were you were based in California the whole time. Mm -hmm. I was in Orange County, so in Irvine and Newport Beach, so very close. Okay, but you were born in Pennsylvania. So, what, like, did you leave Pennsylvania to college and just never look back, or was this like something where you moved and were already in California before college? Yeah, so I was born in Pennsylvania. I lived there um, pretty much till junior high, and then moved out to Orange County with my family at that point. So okay. we were in, um, we were in Pennsylvania because my dad was working on um, his degree there. And once everything was kind of said and done, we moved up to California because our whole family is here. And so we have not left since <laughs> we're all still here. This makes a lot uh, more sense now. <laughs> definitely. No. Yeah. And it's, it's a small town in Pennsylvania that I'm from. It's from, um, I'm from Bryn Mawr. Everyone always gets so confused by the spelling. It's quite a doozy. And so unless you're from, the Philadelphia area probably have never heard of such a small town. Yeah, I mean, I'm from New Jersey and I still never heard of it. So <laughs> exactly. And even looking at the spelling, if you had told me, I would never have gotten this right. It is, right. It is not what I expected. <laughs> um, but awesome. Yeah, I was just really curious about how the Pennsylvania like kind of played into the California and the fact that you're trying to stay in California after being out here for college. So mm -hmm. um, in terms of schools, uh, when you're looking at MBA programs, were you only focusing on ones that were in California? So like Stanford, uh, Berkeley, uh, USC, UCLA, or were you looking outside of that? Yeah, I only applied to three. I applied to obviously USC, UCLA, and Berkeley. Um, my 
plan was always to stay in LA. Um, my mom at the time while I was applying was like, two's too few, you should try one more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so threw Berkeley into the mix. Um, but, you know, needless to say, I ended up here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of people, like, it, it comes down to geographic location for a lot. So I just wasn't sure how flexible you were or you were on the whole California aspect, whether Northern California really counted in your book. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely uh, big on family. And I think especially post MBA, I knew that I wanted to be in Southern California um, with near and just near family. And so mm -hmm. it kind of made the most sense. And so considering in terms of especially the network and the presence, especially living here for the last um, 15 years or so, it's really kind of been a lot of just UCLA and USC license plates, flags everywhere. Yep, so that yep. was kind of front of mind, I think, from, from an early age. Um, are you still living uh, at home with your parents in Orange County or are you by yourself in LA somewhere else? No, I, I, <laughs> I signed my lease to my apartment in downtown the day before it was announced that we were gonna go fully online. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been, it's been good. Um, I do visit home uh, probably more often than I should considering the rent that I pay. But again, <laughs> I, love, I love being with my family. Um, but no, yeah, I'm currently in downtown. Okay. Yeah, I mean, downtown is a great area to be in your first year, especially because you get, I mean, when you were going to class, it's so close. Uh, it's like, it takes like 10 minutes to get to class, but I guess that's sort of a non-factor now, but it's, I mean, I have no idea what it's like out there now. Is like everything sort of opening back up yet or? Yeah, it's been, it's pretty quiet. I actually live right across Staples Center. I can see it from my window. Um, really? It's a really, yeah, it's a very eerie feeling, I think. I mean, I'm looking outside now. It's just, <laughs> it's so quiet. My grandparents actually live in the building next door, hence you know, this all kind of really comes to a head about me and family. You've really but, got family um, everywhere, don't you? <laughs> exactly. Yep, I just follow where they go. No, I, I live <laughs> next door to them. Um, we joke that we're neighbors, but I used to visit them pretty, you know, um, frequently. And downtown was always bustling. And that's really not the case anymore. I mean, that should, I guess, is a good thing that people are taking COVID seriously. But True. it's definitely kind of an eerie feeling to go through downtown without any traffic. Um, without any people really walking around. So it's been it's been an interesting LA experience to say the least. Well, hopefully you're, you're signing your lease in downtown proves to be fruitful if we get back onto campus in the spring because you have a prime location uh, should that come to pass. Um, yeah. But now we're sort of at the crux of like finding out why you decided to come choose like explore your MBA and why you decided to choose USC before we dive more into more of the USC experience so far with you. Uh, I think we'll take a break and jump into our second segment now, which you chose to be, will you press the button? So uh, now I get to sort of ask you some uh, four fun questions of if you'll press the button or not. Um, I'm going to read them off to you and I'll give you also like a summary of how many people agreed with what you your decision was based on the results. Uh, but bear with me because there are some bad ones here, so I might have to skip a few. <laughs> so uh, this site is totally like crowdfunded by some some really good people who have awesome ideas but also some duds who were made up by like five-year-olds so uh there's the occasional really crappy one and i'll skip it uh, but the first one here is uh will you press the button if you can control the weather but you have a headache every moment in your life oh no 
This seems like a terrible <laughs> question asking you because you live in Southern California where there really is no weather, but. <laughs> exactly. Um, I know, I, I feel like that's not really a high, high return for me living in California. So I'd say no. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I was like, if you lived in like Seattle or I don't know, the UK, that would make sense. Okay, so out of that seven, let's see. 73% of the people didn't press the button along with you. So you were sort of on the, the favorite side of that. <laughs> Makes sense. Do, 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 do. Um, oof. This one's interesting. So there's a lot of sort of underlying tones with this one, but you become immortal, but you feel a constant intense pain for every day over your natural lifespan that you live. So say you're immortal, but you're gonna to live to the age of 70. So you feel pain until 70, but then nothing afterwards, but you're mortal. So in, the, so in the grand scheme of things, is it that much? <laughs> yeah. Now I'm starting to think I might say no to all of these. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am such a, my family um, and my boyfriend will know this. I am such a risk averse person. <laughs> so it takes a lot, I think for me to, I guess rationalize something like that. No, I don't think that I would. You really have to have the cards stacked with you to not do that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, I mean, you're kind of in favor. Sixty-eight percent of people who voted on this one also didn't press the button. So, I wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call you risk averse for choosing that. But you know, there's a lot of people like you. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the downside is to this, but that might just be me. You'll be the smartest person on earth, but you're permanently drunk. I, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> Still I don't no. think that I would. I know. Oh my God. I feel such like a man. I feel like a boring person now, but no, I don't. <laughs> feeling drunk the whole I mean the way I see it is like even if, if I'm the smartest person on earth and I'm drunk I'm probably still smarter than I am right now <laughs> <laughs> that's true um, that's just my backwards ass way of looking at it but that's just me yeah that might not be you <laughs> I might have answered differently maybe a few years ago but I don't think so anymore <laughs> so of that 51 percent didn't press the button with you so that was a very okay. kind of half and half there I, I, I saw your logic, though. I can appreciate the way that you were thinking. One of the comments said this made me think about Tony Stark, which is, that's also accurate. <laughs> uh, we'll skip that one. That one's stupid. Um, I don't know what that means. There's some, there's some bad ones in here. Uh, I'm trying to find one that you might say yes to, too. So <laughs> I'm, I'm like trying to use those past three as sort of like an indicator of what you'll, you'll agree to. Yeah. That's just stupid. That one's like wearing diapers. So um, these are definitely the type of questions I feel like my brother would ask at our family dinner table, though. It's a I, hypothetical question. Oh, yeah. This is exactly where that he probably brings them all from here. Uh, the last one is uh, your favorite fictional character is real, but so is the entire universe and all of its problems that are associated with that character. 
Ooh. My, I don't know why, I guess my default fictional character um, was Elizabeth Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. I just feel like I used to dream about, wow, it'd be so nice to live in a you know Victorian era, mm. but then as a woman, what does that mean? <laughs> so, uh. um, <laughs> so um, I'd say given that, I'm, I'm gonna have to say no again. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you're definitely on the wrong side of the crew this time. So 27% uh, said that they would not press the button for that one. Uh, and with that, that is the last, I will not ask you any more button questions because I kind of already know what the answer is going to be anyway. Exactly. <laughs> but now we'll focus, we'll jump a little bit more into uh, more of your USC experience so far. So I have a couple questions lined up for you. Uh, the first of which is uh, since the semester has been uh, pretty unprecedented in its uh, delivery going through virtual classes through your first two terms so far. Uh, mm -hmm. I just while well, out of pure curiosity, I was just wondering about which professor do you think has done the best job of really adjusting or adapting to that virtual environment coming from a traditional in-person uh, delivery? Yeah, um, I don't know if I'm just naming my favorite <laughs> or if it's truly the person who's done it best. I feel like they're probably kind of both the same answer. I'd say um, Professor Solomon, he's our accounting professor this mm -hmm. semester um, for many reasons. I think, again, I'm very biased. I came exactly for this type of class, but he is, I think, hilarious. He has that dry dad humor every class. He's mm -hmm. so present. Um, and I think I just appreciate that. I really can kind of resonate with the idea of, listen, this is not the best situation. No one asked for this, but here we are and we're gonna make the most out of it. And I feel like that type of energy and um, attitude is really kind of just always present in every class that we've really had with him. So he's, I think, done it best. You know, I've actually heard good things about Professor Sullivan from, I mean, we didn't have him personally because we had uh, Professor Beatty, who was the last accounting professor before they rotated uh, people through. Uh, so I've only heard good things about him from the first years that I've talked to so far, but that seems like a pretty uh, common answer, actually. So uh, oh, good, good. To, good to hear that uh, you're with the pack on that one, as opposed to your uh, <laughs> press the button answers. <laughs> um, <laughs> The second question we have for you, which uh, I'm really curious about, is uh, what was the challenge that you and or your core team experienced during your first term or two? And what did you do to either work together to overcome it or by yourself to overcome it? It's a personal challenge. Yeah. Um, so first term, I think, was definitely harder. One for being just, you know, the three weeks that it was, but it was very, very heavy on group assignments and group projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had a, an econ project, <laughs> which um, did not, I think, have the result that we were looking for. I think, oddly enough, we were trying to be too fair, which ended up really hurting us, given the fact that we're six people to, you know, split an assignment that's essentially a three-page assignment yeah. is, to some extent, you know, might be a little unnecessary, but we were, we wanted to make sure everyone has a, an even split and even, uh, kind of contribution to the overall grade. So, so democratic. <laughs> so democratic that it hurt us. I mean, who would have <laughs> sunk? Uh, yeah, so being nice and being fair actually <laughs> did not work in our favor, but it was a really good, I think, learning experience. Thankfully, it was halfway through the term, so it wasn't, you know, the end-all, be-all kind of moment. There mm -hmm. was, there's still finals left to kind of make up for that 
grade that we had gotten. Um, but no, it was a good experience. And I think honestly, it brought our team closer together. I think we really kind of thought critically about how we were functioning as a team and how to maybe play to our strengths as opposed to just making it an even split every single time. And so um, I think it's been, it's been good ever since. So glad that we were able to work through it. Awesome. So you mentioned you sort of like reevaluated how you split the work after that. So now is it more of a, instead of everyone getting an equal share of a three page paper, it's more you dedicate a few people to like take a lead on the assignment or is it more people who are experienced or is it more people who want to actually have the challenge to sort of push themselves into a new area that they don't know much about? Yeah, it's interesting. We have um, in our team of six, we have four people who are targeting either banking or investment management. And then the um, one of the remaining members has um, a history and background in finance and actually has a CFA. And then the last member also, I think, is just finds finance pr pretty interesting. And so uh, yeah. it's um, yeah, where it's a it's a very interesting mix. Um, but no, I think we're lucky because we have a blend of the people who have the experience and also those who want to learn, given what they're targeting. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of been on rotation. It's mainly like, OK, we'll split. So three people work on this assignment. The next three will work on the next assignment. And of course, everybody should have um, the time to review and sign off on it. But there aren't six people actively working together at the same time anymore. Yeah, I mean, from personal experience, obviously, and also from what I've observed, that seems to be a better way of splitting it up just because then you guys can really focus on the assignment, but then also have your own free time to like explore other clubs and recruiting and stuff. Cause I, recruiting is starting up big time for a lot of you, especially people who are targeting iBanking. So, mm -hmm. um, and then the last question we have for you, which is also sort of like more of a routine based question, but uh, so given that you're sort of stuck inside doing virtual classes all day, I was curious to know if you have any sort of pre-class pre or post-class rituals. So things that you do every morning or every evening to sort of uh, re-energize yourself or get you ready for the day for sitting in front of a computer for however many hours that you have to do so. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I, I joke to my boyfriend pretty often that I feel like just this grandpa who's retired at this point with my pre-morning ritual <laughs> or pre-class ritual. Um, so I wake up pretty early. I'd say I wake up anywhere between 6 to 6.30. And then I have a paper version of the Wall Street Journal that's delivered in the morning. And so oh I God. open that. <laughs> I know I read that with my coffee and my breakfast. That's what I do before class. And so, um, you know, I don't know if I'm painting the right picture of being risk averse and also reading the paper every morning, but that's kind of been the go-to during this time for me. So you go, you don't even do it like the virtual Wall Street Journal. You have to have the paper version? I think I just like the idea of it. I don't know if it's just like romanticized <laughs> view of having like a physical paper. Um, I have a stack next to me because obviously I haven't gotten through everything, but mm. it's, I think I just like the feeling of physical paper. I think it was a huge influence, I think, on my dad, especially growing up, to read a lot of books. And so the feeling of paper, I think, is nice. And then oftentimes, I mean, this is such a tangent, but I watched A Social Dilemma recently. And so what you click might be what you're served. And so I like the idea of kind oh. of having everything and making my choice. So, and I'm the type to also annotate the news, oddly enough, which is a huge... Uh, influence from my dad but I write with red pen on my paper if anything is interesting to me too. Do you write on the newspaper as you're reading through it? I do. I do. Oh, wow. 
what are your sort of go-to sections? Where do you like, where do you open? Do you open from page one or do you just go straight to, I don't even know what the sections are at this point, so. Yeah, um, I think right now it's just kind of just page one and I try to start from the beginning, go through the end. And then obviously if, if some topics kind of or headlines rather just jump out at me, I'll read those first. But I try to go in order for the reason of, again, that whole clickbait uh, nature that the website can often be. If I really want to kind of get the full experience, it's front to back. So you're you're really all about the holistic picture and everything from education <laughs> both to your like how you get your news so that's kind of very <laughs> consistent yeah very consistent and predictable person that's what I <laughs> very risk averse yes <laughs> like thinking about oh, what the hell is that movie it's like a ben stiller movie where he's like the most risk averse person in the world um, i don't think i've seen uh, that it's a, i think, it's a, I think it. it's a long came poly because i think oh. he works as like a risk Educator, it's like he's like a risk assessor or something. Is this like the '90s movie, like peak Adam Sandler? Uh, it must have been like early 2000s. It was with Jeff. I think it was with Jennifer Aniston. Okay. I think that was the co-lead on it. I feel like I may have seen that before, or at least have seen clips of it. I think I know what you're talking about. I'm obviously on my own tangent too, so that's sort of <laughs> <laughs> something that can be like you can look up afterwards. So, <laughs> but I mean, we're towards the end of the show anyway. So uh, that was the the last question I had for you. So learning about your sort of pre class pre class virtual. Was there anything post class that you do habitually uh, besides go through your red lines on the paper? <laughs> on days that we have three classes, I am starving by the end of it. We have 20 minute breaks. So I, I run to my kitchen, pick something up. That's the immediate, I think, just physical need that I have post-class. Um, outside of that, I'd say, I don't think there's really a ritual for me after class. It's not the same. I don't think I'm as um, structured as I am in the morning <laughs> probably because I'm tired at that point to be honest from everything that I've done that day the schedule starts to break down a little bit yeah <laughs> yeah definitely over time it breaks down um did you have anything like what was your go-to sort of snack or lunch that you would usually grab is there something you grab every time or does it sort of range yeah. on what's sitting in your cabinets yeah no so I I really like to cook and so um <laughs> There are days where I'll just like look in my fridge, especially on like a Sunday night and start seeing just like what the ingredients are and okay, what can I make this week and have a general idea. And so typically what lunch ends up being is a leftover of whatever the prior night's dinner was. So yeah. it really is kind of, it depends. I guess that's where I, I have my creative freedom is when I cook. Um, that's <laughs> where the structure I think kind of comes down, but no, it varies. It, it really varies. Awesome. And I imagine you go, do you go to that Ralph's right around the corner in downtown or do you truck oh, yeah. all the way over to Whole Foods? Yeah, no, Ralph's is good. Um, I'm Korean, so I go to the Korean market as well. Okay. Yeah, so I'd say, I mean, grocery shopping is, is a hobby of mine. Um, it's something that my dad and I did a lot growing up. We used to go right before closing when it was super empty. He'd push me around and shove me in the cart down a huge <laughs> aisle. So I have a lot of fond memories in the grocery stores. I really like going there. So That's sometimes I might go cute. too often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of father-daughter bonding for yeah. sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that Ralph's well because I lived in the apartment building called The Met, which is right next door. So, oh, like, that's Ralphs. funny. Yeah, no, I know exactly where that is. Yeah, it's right around, right around the corner. I was gonna say you can almost see the Staples Center from it, but you can't quite. So I didn't think that was the same one as what you're in. So, mm -hmm. um, but anyway, that's the last question I had for you. So it was lovely hearing uh, your responses to your martial experience so far, especially how you really love 
you seem to come back to family a lot. So I really appreciate uh, <laughs> that sort of like tone has really sustained itself throughout the entire course of our uh, conversation here. Uh, yeah. Before I let you go, there are two things we need to get through. One is going to be as a thank you for coming on the show. You get a 60 second sort of spotlight to really bring attention or just talk about anything that you're enjoying or want to promote. So it could be class related, it could be family related, it could be something that you're currently watching on TV. Uh, it's really not my point to judge, but just let people know what you got going on. Yeah, um, I think especially with you know what I'm trying to go back into as a woman in finance, I just want to shout out to anyone um, who's kind of considering that path. You know, I think sometimes people are often kind of deterred by the idea of being one of few, but I want to kind of just raise awareness, I think, for women, especially in finance and the investment management industry specifically. And so if anyone has questions, um, feel free to reach out. I think I'm always, always so uh, willing and open to talking to more women and networking in that way. And so, yeah, I'd say, I'd say that. Awesome. And again, Leia, your information, both your email and LinkedIn will be shared in the show notes. So if you're interested and want to talk about more about like getting into the world of finance, please feel free to reach out to Leia after the show. Um, and before we wrap up, uh, the one thing we have left now is you get to choose a song that we play out the episode with. So do you have anything right now? Or you can go to Gold Oldie or... Yeah, I think uh, for consistency's sake, I yeah. will give a shout out to my dad yep. with this um, song. It's a song that we used to dance to a lot when I was growing up. It's um, Nat King Cole's L-O-V-E, Love. Nat King Cole's L-O-V-E, Love. Mm -hmm. is, it, is, that, is that like two separate words, L-O-V-E, Love? Oh, no, L-O-V-E, but I think some people just call it Love. Okay. It's, uh, it's the Parent Trap song, if you're familiar. I can't say I am, which is probably <laughs> uh, just, I didn't watch Parent Trap growing up, so I feel bad about that. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure once you hear it, you'll recognize it though. I, I probably absolutely will. Um, but yes, that's all the time we've had for today. Again, Leah, it's been lovely talking about you and hearing about sort of your journey through uh, apparently moving to California very early and sticking around to really stay close to family, but also finding a way to really grow your career to the point where uh, you're not here at USC to really embellish and grow those finance skills to find, to lead to the eventual role that you're going to love in the future. Um, so it was actually really great to hear some of those anecdotes as well from uh, redlining the Wall Street Journal to being pushed around <laughs> and pushed around in grocery stores by your dad, so. <laughs> exactly, no, thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's been great. All right, and to close out today's episode again, we will be playing you off with uh, Nat King Cole's L-O-V-E. And so that's been all for today, folks. I've been your host, Patrick Dermott, and we'll see you next time. At me, oh, is for the only one I see. V is very, very extraordinary. E is even more than any one that you adore can love is all that i can give to you love is more than just a game for two two in love can make it take my heart and please don't break it love was made for me and you
is for the way you look at me Oh, it's for the only one I see V is very, very extraordinary E is even more than anyone that you adore can love Here's all that I can give to you is more than just a game for two Two in love can make it Take my heart and please don't break it Love was made for me and you Love was made for me and you Love was made for me and you, love, was made for me and you. 